Hey, here we are in front of the War Memorial on Veterans Parkway in the Cape here. You know, nearly every city that I've ever traveled to across the world has statues of their heroes. People who have done something heroic, people who have done something to change the course of a nation or a people's lives. Well, if ever there was a guy in the Old Testament that deserved to have a statue built in his honor, it's Elijah. And he is our epic story today. It's a story filled with all kinds of action, and it's a story filled with lessons for our lives. So I hope you open your Bibles right now to 1 Kings chapter 18, and let's dig into the story of Elijah. Hey, good morning. We're uh, doing a little mic change. My uh, battery went dead while I was standing back there. So it's a little funny, Dan. Really don't care to be this. I know you this well. Thank you very much. Okay, here you start. So am I. Here we go. Hey, uh, Chuck, uh, let me just remix that, okay? Now, the sad thing is that Brad actually knew there was a break in the song this time. First time, we really left him hanging. He had no idea there was a break there, and this time he actually knew. Hey, author Chuck Colson, uh, in one of his books, talks about St. Telemachus. Uh, he was a Christian monk in the early 4th century. He lived in a very remote village, difficult to get to, had a little farm there, and he spent all of his time either caring for his farm or praying. But one day as he was praying, he felt very clearly that God was telling him, I want you to go to Rome. He had no idea why, but he obeyed this prompt from God and headed off to Rome. Very difficult journey. Actually, literally took him several weeks to get there. On the day that he finally arrived, there was a very festive atmosphere in the city of Rome. And uh, he kind of watched the crowds for a minute and saw they kind of all seemed to flow in one direction. So he followed them to see what was happening. And they were flowing into the Colosseum. And he uh, followed them into the Colosseum and he found a seat up near the top of the Colosseum. Down on the floor of the Colosseum, there were two gladiators that were being introduced. And then they both saluted the king by saying... Those who are about to die honor you. Well, he realized these two men were going to fight each other to the death. So he stood from his seat and amidst the roar of the crowd, he screamed at the top of his lungs, Stop in the name of Christ. He made his way from his seat and began moving down towards the ground of the Colosseum. Every once in a while, hollering above the roar of the crowd, Stop in the name of Christ. He made it all the way down, climbed over the wall and onto the ground level of the Colosseum. Now, everybody in the stands thought that this was part of the act and they were laughing at him, but the gladiators were infuriated that he would try to interrupt. And so one of them took back his sword and pierced it in to the saint. As he lay on the Colosseum ground, literally dying, he screamed one more time, Stop in the name of Christ. The crowd grew silent. One man near the top of the Colosseum got up from his seat and began to leave. And one by one, the people followed him. Now there's some debate about when this took place, late 390s, early 400. But historians know that that was the last time that gladiators ever fought to the death in the Colosseum. Because one lone man was willing to stand in the midst of the crowd. Now it takes a lot of guts to be the lone man or woman who stands alone in the crowd, doesn't it? 
I mean, it takes a lot of guts when everybody else in the office is making a joke at one person's expense to be the one voice who stands in their defense. It takes a lot of guts in a room full of people who are questioning the validity of God, denying that God exists to be that one person who would stand and proclaim their faith. It takes a lot of guts in a circle of friends when they're all trying to convince you to do something that you know is wrong, to be the only one who says no. It takes some guts to be the lone person to stand in a crowd. But I want you to see in this epic story this morning that that's exactly what Elijah does. Elijah stands amidst a crowd of people. He's the only one to stand. And he speaks out for God. And when Elijah stands and speaks in this epic story, he speaks into a dark world. A world that, to a large extent, had turned away from the things of God. In fact, if you've got your Bibles open to 1 Kings chapter 18, if you go back just a couple of chapters to to chapter 16, it kind of sets the stage for us to understand the culture that Elijah was working in on this day. In verse 31, it says this, 1 Kings 16.30 actually, Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Ahab was the king over Israel at this time. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, the king before him, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. Now, in that very quick snapshot, there is a very important truth that rises to the top. It is a simple truth, but it is a very profound truth. And the truth is this. The world or a culture becomes a dark place to the degree that people turn away from God. It's very true. Think about it throughout history. The world or a particular culture becomes a dark place to the degree that people turn away from God. Now, here's what happened in this instance. When Jeroboam was king of Israel, it wasn't that he began to deny the existence of God or that he completely turned his back on God or stopped worshiping God. What Jeroboam simply did was because of the pressure from people, from the crowd, so to speak, he began to mix elements of worshiping God with elements of worshiping a pagan God. And it was the first step towards darkness in their culture. When Ahab becomes king, he says he has this mindset that the sins of Jeroboam were trivial. No big deal. It doesn't really matter. But it mattered to God. And it was another step away from God and there was more darkness in their culture. Then Ahab makes the decision that he is going to marry Jezebel. The problem with that? Jezebel's family were big worshipers of Baal. And it began to infiltrate Ahab. And before long, Ahab was bowing his knee to this false god named Baal. And then he was setting up altars to Baal throughout the country. And then other false gods that people were bowing their knees to. And slowly, one step at a time, they continued to turn away from God. And there was more and more darkness in their culture. In fact, it says this in verse 33. It says, Ahab also made an Asherah pole, another false god, and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all of the kings of Israel before him. The world 
or a culture becomes a dark place to the degree that people turn away from God. It was true then, and it's true today. It was a dark place for Elijah. And you know what? At times in our culture, there is darkness, isn't there? Because as people turn away from God, as they trivialize sin, darkness grows. Let me illustrate some of the darkness that I see in our culture today. Take, for instance, the pornography industry. Do you know that in a typical year recently, in America, $4 billion, with a B, $4 billion are spent on 700 million pornographic movies. That's more than we spend on Major League Baseball. The regular movie industry yearly makes about 400 movies. The pornographic industry makes 11,000 movies. Then there's abortion. The innocent murdering of children. Do you know that the Center for Disease Control reports that annually there are between 850,000 and 1 million babies who are killed through abortion? Sacrificed at the altar of personal choice and convenience. They're same-sex marriage. Something that God clearly speaks out against in the Bible. And yet, in several states across our nation, it has been legalized and championed as a good cause. Something that I've been learning a little bit more about recently is the sex slave trafficking of young children right here in America. Sad stuff that's happening. A culture becomes a dark place to the degree that people turn away from God. Sometimes it's true here. And it was definitely true for Elijah as he stepped on to that stage. But God had called Elijah to be just a little bit of light in what had become a rather dark place. So I want you to see his story today. It really is an epic story. And we're going to jump in the middle of 1 Kings chapter 18. But let me encourage you, sometime this week, Read chapter 16 and 17 and the first part of 18. And then from wherever we leave off, go ahead and read the next couple of chapters because that will give you the whole picture of Elijah's life and the incredible ways that God uses him to be a light in what had become a dark place. Now here's how the story goes though. 1 Kings chapter 18, Ahab and Elijah had determined they would have a gathering. They would meet each other. And so we pick it up in verse 17 as they are first coming together. These are the first words out of Ahab's mouth. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, troubler of Israel? It's a really warm greeting that he gives him. I'm sure that's the way you greet people when you see them for the first time. You troublemaker. Well, here's Elijah's response. He says, I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's command and have followed the Baals. Now here's Elijah's plan. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. I would like to have seen the size of that table. 400 of them sitting around the table. So Ahab sent word throughout all of Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? Now, it's not that they had completely abandoned God, but to a large extent they had begun to worship other gods. He says, How long are you going to waver? If the Lord is God, follow Him. 
If Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. They were silent. Here's what happened. Elijah proposes, let's have a little contest. You build an altar, I'll build an altar. I've got these two bowls that I brought along. We'll both prepare them as sacrifices. And then we'll each pray to our God and we'll see who sends down fire from heaven to consume the altar. Prophets of Baal say, okay, you're on. Let's go. Elijah is a kind person. He says, you guys can go first. You, you can have your pick of the bowls. doesn't say so, but I'm guessing they picked the best one. They took it and they prepared it for sacrifice. They built, stacked up stones to create an altar. They put wood on top of it. They laid their sacrifice on top. And then they began to cry out to their God. Rather calmly at first. It says they prayed from morning till noon for God to send down fire. Not much is happening. And the longer it goes, I'm sure the little more excited they got, a little more they danced around, they cried out. Nothing's happening Around noon, Elijah maybe is getting a little bit bored, and so he starts trash-talking them. He makes fun of them. Ah, come on, guys, where's your God? How come He's not answering? Is He asleep? Did your God go on vacation? Maybe He's too busy for you today. Oh, they get a little more frantic. They dance a little bit faster. They scream a little bit louder. Nothing happens. It's headed toward the middle of the afternoon now. So now they're getting desperate. The Bible says they took out swords and knives and they began to cut themselves. And, and literally it says in there that the blood flowed Freely. Pretty disgusting. So now they are dancing around. They are screaming out to their gods. They are bleeding all over the place and nothing is happening. Elijah says to the crowd that is gathered to watch, hey, it's my turn. Focus your attention over here. He stacks up his stones. He puts wood on top. Prepares the sacrifice. But just to make sure that it's clear to everybody that God is really at work at him here, he says, hey, you know what? Here's four jars. Go and fill them with water. They bring them and they dump them on the sacrifice. Get us everything wet. Hey, he says, hey, do it again. They go fill them up. They pour more water. Everything is pretty well soaked now. He says, ah, do it one more time, just for good measure. They fill them up, pour the water on. It is absolutely drenched. And then in verse 36, Elijah begins to pray. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that You are God in Israel and that I am Your servant and have done all of these things at Your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that You, Lord, are God and that You are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and licked up the water in the trench. Incredible. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and they cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. God responded in power. And the story goes on. Uh, Elijah has the prophets of Baal killed and his journey Continues. You ought to read the rest of the story. You know, here's, a, here's another lesson. No matter how great the darkness, and it was pretty great in Elijah's case, no matter how great the darkness, God brings light. It's true then, and it's true today. You see, God called Elijah to be a light in his dark world. And I believe with all of my heart that the Bible teaches that it was God's intention that Christ followers would be a light in their dark world. 
In fact, I'm convinced, do you understand this morning, that God has invited you to be His light in your part of our sometimes dark world. Now, you know, sometimes I look around our, our country, even our state at times, our city, and maybe you do too, and you think, you know, there's some things that are broken that I wish they would fix them. And we think that the answer to fixing them at times is, oh, we need to elect different people. Or we need to enact certain laws. And those things might help. But I'm convinced that the true fix is found in one changed life at a time. You see, I'm still convinced today that the story of Jesus spread through the local church is the hope of the world. I'm convinced that God's intention was that that I and that you would be a part of being His light in our dark world and that that's His way to fix our culture. See, as a culture becomes a dark place to the degree that people turn away from God. And so part of the way to bring lightness back to our culture is to get people to turn back to God. Well, Elijah steps onto a very dark stage and offers light. And in his story, I think there are some very simple steps that we could take today that would help us to bring light to our part of our sometimes dark world. So I want to spend a few minutes looking at some of those things from Elijah's life and from this story that give us some help and some encouragement about how we can be light in our culture. Now, I know immediately you might want to object and say, but wait a minute, Jeff, I am no Elijah. I mean, he seems like some kind of superhuman, super spiritual freak. But he's not. In fact, you know what the Bible says about him in James chapter 5.17? The Bible says, Elijah, just in these words, Elijah was a man just like us. Not anything special. He was a man just like us. And I'm convinced God wants to use people just like us. So what did Elijah do first? I noticed that he lived consistently. Elijah never bowed down and worshipped one of these false gods. Now, I'm not saying that Elijah was perfect. In fact, if you read the next couple of chapters, you will find that Elijah's life took a lot of twists and turns and there were times that he sinned. He did what God didn't want him to do. And there were ups and downs in his journey. But the thing that Elijah never did was that he never quit following God. He never replaced God with another God in his life. He lived as consistently as he could. I heard about a guy that was a circus owner. And the circus owner had an ape that was trained. And this ape would kind of mingle with the crowds and sometimes he'd kind of growl at them and scare them and other times just interact. And uh, it was just a great part of their show. Well, one day, tragically, the ape died. And so the owner of the circus couldn't find another trained ape. And so he went out and spent a lot of money to buy a very intricate ape's costume. He found a man who was desperate for a job and convinced him to put on the costume and be the ape. He said, just mingle around, growl at people, interact. It'll be great. Well, the guy began to do it, and he was really good at it. He'd mingle with the crowds. He'd growl at them sometimes and uh, just really began to thoroughly enjoy it. Well, one day in that awkward ape's costume, he somehow stumbled into the lion's cage. And when he realized where he was, the lion looked at him very ferociously and with this deep growl roared at him. And the 
This man was absolutely petrified and he screamed, Help! Help! Get me out of here! Please, somebody help! Get me out of here! And the lion said, Be quiet or we'll both get fired. We are very good at playing the part of being a Christ follower until we stumble into some circumstances that make us uncomfortable and then we quit playing the part. Elijah, even when he had to stand alone in the crowd, stood consistently for God. When I was a student in high school, I was a part of a, a small youth group at a church in a, the community where we lived. And I would go there and I acted the part that you're supposed to act when you're at church. You know what I'm saying, right? And I'd hang there, but when I would go to school the rest of the week, I was a different person. I didn't want anything to do with those kids in my youth group because as far as I was concerned, they were a bunch of nerds. If you've ever seen pictures of me in high school, you would have thought that I was the one that was a nerd. But I had this other crowd of people that I wanted to hang with and they influenced me and I didn't want to stand alone against that crowd. And so I gave in to a lot of things that they were doing. The language that flowed from my mouth when I was on the basketball court in high school wasn't language that should have come out. And there were other things that when my sons are older and grown, that I might talk about publicly, but not while they're still in high school. I wasn't consistent. I'll tell you, if we are going to be light that God has called us to be, we have got to live consistently like God has called us to. second thing I notice here is that Elijah prayed. Notice in verse 36 again, at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Elijah realized this was not about what he could do by himself. This was about what God could do through him. And so he prayed. I have to believe this wasn't the only time that Elijah prayed. I have to think that every day maybe, prayer was a consistent part of his life. That maybe Elijah was one of those voices that had been crying out for the condition of his nation but specifically had been praying for some people that he knew that were living far from God. And he was praying that they would turn their hearts back to God and that God would work. I wonder this morning, who are you praying for? Are there people that you know that are living far from God that you pray regularly that God would begin to do something in their life that would turn their heart back to God? I think there ought to be for all of us. There's a card in your weekly update today. It says at the top of it, My Elijah List. Would you take that out right now? And on one side of that, there's in the blue, I think it is, there is a place for you to write some names of people that you could be praying for. People that you know don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ who are living far from God. People that you would say today, you know what, I'm just going to pray for them every day. That God would do something in their life that would begin to turn their heart back to God. You might not come up with five names, but I, I'm guessing that all of us in this room could think of one or two or maybe five. And you ought to write those names down right now. Take this card with you. Put it somewhere where it will be a reminder that every day I'm going to pray for these people who need Jesus in their life. In fact, I want to pray for you right now that the Holy Spirit would bring some names to your mind that you ought to be praying for. God, I want to ask you right now in this moment for every person in this room, God, that you would bring to their mind some names of people that they know who really need Jesus to be a part of their life. 
Somebody that they ought to be praying for on a regular basis. And I just pray, God, now that You'd remind them of those names so that they could write them down and begin to pray every day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Not only should we pray for them every day, but I think we should also be looking for opportunities as we encounter people through regular life that we could pray for them right then for the power of God to be at work in their lives. There's a restaurant that I frequent fairly regularly uh, right here in the Cape, and uh, I've gotten to know some of the workers in there as I uh, go in and eat breakfast occasionally. And um, a couple of ladies have begun to share some things that are going on in their lives, and one of them kind of has this ongoing story that she catches me up on occasionally. And last time I was in there, uh, she came over to my table and shared the latest turn in her story. And wasn't very crowded at all at the moment I was in there. So I just said to her before, as she started to leave, could I just pray for you right now? And so I prayed right there in the restaurant for God to be at work in her life. And there are opportunities like that all, that all of us have if we would just look for them and we'd be thinking consciously, I, I want to pray for people. I have a group of pastors I've told you before. I, I meet with a group of pastors every Monday from here in the city and they've just become some of my really great friends. And... Um, a couple of them were sharing a story a couple months ago that uh, they had been at a city gathering. And at this gathering, they were having a conversation with one of the city leaders. And this guy had said, you know, when I'm done here, I'm headed back across the street. I've got a meeting with this person that has just really been irate. They've been difficult, like really a pain to deal with. And I am not looking forward to it. And the two pastors, two friends of mine said, could we just pray for you right now? And so right there, as there were all kinds of people uh, moving around and stuff, they just bowed and they prayed for him. Well, I was in a meeting just last week with this same city leader, and in that meeting he was recounting that event. And he said, you know what happened after they prayed for me? I walked back to my office to meet with this person, and it was like a light switch had been flipped. They were a totally different person. And he knew, even though he is not a Christ follower, he knew that that was a result of somebody praying, and he saw evidence there, the power of God. And he continues in this process of trying to figure out whether or not he's going to step across the line of faith and really trust God with his life. There are people that we can be praying for. The third thing I noticed that Elijah does in this story is that he invited them to a place where they could experience God. In his case, he invites them to Mount Carmel. Not so that he can lecture them about the seven deadly sins that they're involved in, although believe me, there would have been plenty of material for him to lecture them about. Now, he invites them to Mount Carmel because he believes that God is going to do something powerful that day and he wants the people to come to a place where they can experience the power of God at work. And you know what? If we're going to be light in the midst of our dark world, we have this wonderful tool that we can all use called the local church. Crosspoint in our case. A place where we can invite people to come where they can experience and see the power of God at work in other people's lives. And I hope that regularly you're thinking about, who could I invite? Who do I know that maybe is living far from God that really needs Jesus in their life, that I could invite them to a safe place where they could experience the power of God at work in the lives of other people? In fact, on that same card there, there is another column, another place for you to write down some names right now as you're thinking about it. Names that, again, God might bring to your mind of people that you could be inviting to a place where they could experience God. We're going to start a new series. You've got another card in your uh, weekly update. We're going to start a a new series next week about parenting. And we're going to do this series because uh, 
there are a lot of us around here, parents, grandparents, people who know uh, other people that are parents, uh, people that are anticipating being parents, that we as fellow strugglers in the journey of parenting uh, could use some insight from God's Word. But we're also doing this series because it provides you a very easy and safe opportunity to invite somebody who really needs Jesus in their life to come to something that seems a little less threatening because it's easy to say, you know what, he's going to be talking about some things about parenting. Um, I know I could use it. Maybe you could too. And it's an opportunity for you to invite them to a place where they can experience the power of God at work in other people's lives. The next thing I notice about Elijah is that he pointed people to God. Look at verse 37. Answer me, Lord. Answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. You know what? Elijah didn't call them all to Mount Carmel so that he could make a name for himself or so that he could increase his popularity in the nation of Israel. He invited them to Mount Carmel because he wanted to point them to God. And you know what? As we try to be a light amidst the darkness of our culture at times, it's not about increasing our fame or making a name for ourselves. It's not about Crosspoint increasing its name. It's about increasing the fame of God. It's not about pointing people towards any of us. It's about pointing people to God who can make a difference in their lives. The last thing I notice is that Elijah trusted the power of God. It says this in verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and licked up the water. You know what? Elijah that day when he invited them to Mount Carmel wasn't thinking, it's all up to me to change these people's lives. It's all up to me to convince these people to turn back to God. No, he understood that day that his only responsibility had been to give the invitation to come to Mount Carmel. And then he trusted the power of God to work. He trusted the power of God to be the one to convince them and did it ever. What does it say in the next verse? Then they fell down on their faces before God and they said, the Lord, He is God. Because they saw the power of God at work. And you know what? If we think it's about our ability, it's not up to me to try to convince somebody to turn their heart back to God. It's not up to me to try to convince and make people place their trust in Jesus. It's simply up to me to invite them, to point them, and then to let the power of God work in their hearts and in their lives. A couple of months ago, in April, I got a phone call one Monday afternoon, and it was an old friend of mine saying, Jeff, do you have anything going on tonight? If not, I've got an extra ticket to the Fellowship of Christian Athletes Banquet down here in Bonita. Could you come? And I knew already who the speaker was. The speaker was Jim Tressel, who's the head uh, football coach at The Ohio State University. And um, I said, absolutely, I'll be there. So I, I made my way down there. Uh, I had been invited for dinner, but before dinner, there was this VIP-type gathering where if your name was on a list, you could get in the room and actually meet the coach, shake his hand, get your picture taken with him. Well, my name wasn't on that list. I hadn't been invited to that part. But my friend was in charge of who got in and who didn't. So I just kind of stood out in the hallway when I got there. I knew he was in there, and I just waited for him to be finished because I needed him to show me where the table was and all that kind of stuff. And so I just kind of stood off in the corner, across the hallway, watching what was going on, seeing all the people go in and out. 
Well, at one point he noticed that I was out in the hallway and he said, Jeff, come on in here. And I'm like, no, I, I wasn't invited to this. My, you know, my name's not on that list. He said, Jeff, you're my friend. Get in here. Meet the coach. And so I got to go in the room and waited in line for a few minutes and had my picture taken with Coach Stressel. And most of you really don't care at all about that, but, but I did. But you know what? If it hadn't been for my friend inviting me into the room, I wouldn't have had any access to that. And all of us have a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor, a classmate, somebody that we know down the street, somebody we know in a club who needs someone, a friend, to invite them in the door to a place where they can meet Jesus. They need somebody who will be light in the midst of a dark culture who will point them towards the light. So they'll have the opportunity to decide if they're going to trust in the power of God to work in them. A culture, our world, becomes dark to the point that people turn away from God. And the answer to that darkness is to be a light that helps people turn their hearts back to God as they see His power at work. God, I thank You that You've invited me to be a light in the midst of our dark world. God, I pray that every day You'd open my eyes to people around me that need You. And God, that together You'd all of us in this room to be Your light in the midst of our dark world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.